You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. The passage this morning is Psalm 124. If you're using one of the Bibles in the back of the pew, you'll find that on page 517. And if you do not own a Bible, please feel free to take one as a gift from Park Church. Psalm 124. A Song of Ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who is on our side, let Israel say now, if it had not been the Lord who is on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gwen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Jason. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here at Park. Happy Fourth of July uh, as well. Forgot to mention that. Claps from the claps from the balcony. Awesome. The whole youth group is like sitting up. The whole teens ministry is like sitting up in the balcony. Love it. Um, there are a few uh, announcements before we get into sermon today. Um, one, there are three ways if you're if you're interested in. Uh, participating, and sorry, welcome to those uh, at home uh, as well, um, or, or wherever you might be watching the streaming from. Uh, it occurred to me as I was thinking about the live stream, Joel had mentioned that Denise was in the hospital for over 100 days. That's, uh, our live streaming was her church you know, while she was in the hospital. I talked with her sister uh, last Sunday, and she said, like, she was watching every we. So, uh, to those who are uh, watching on a live stream, whatever it is, uh, wherever you are, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, anyway, sorry, the announcements. Um, if you're looking for ways to uh, plug in with the mission uh, here, uh, mission of God here at Park Church, I would encourage you in, in three different ways. One, uh, join a team. Uh, we have lots of different teams that are serving people in our church body, from our kids' ministry to those making meals for people and taking them uh, to their house to greeting on a Sunday. We already have a lot of them in place. We're going to be doing even more work throughout the rest of this summer and fall to get even more teams and opportunities for you to plug into to, to love and serve our church body. So I would encourage you join one of those. Uh, secondly, uh, give uh, financially uh, to the mission at Park, and then uh, join in the work. Thirdly, join in the work that God is doing by serving our city and our world. If you want more information on those three, you can check that information out at parkchurch.org slash three. So again, parkchurch.org slash three. 
One specific way I want to mention that, that you could partner with to serve our world and to join a family uh, in our church body is by supporting the Gage family uh, this July with financial support uh, for their missionary care trip to Thailand. Would you be okay standing up? I made Andy stand up in the 9 a.m. Yeah. This is Lauren Gage. Uh, her husband, Andy, was here uh, at the 9 a.m. service. Uh, Uh, so they're going to be taking a uh, trip to uh, care for and encourage missionaries in Southeast Asia. The, the Gage family has been here since we planted parks. So that would be early 2008 and even beforehand, uh, beforehand as we were like praying about a church plant somewhere, they were involved in that. And um, they are an amazing family with a big heart for Jesus and for missionaries uh, who are abroad doing uh, spreading the, the word or the message of the kingdom in those areas. So they want to go over there, uh, care for and encourage uh, those missionaries. If you want to learn more about their trip and supporting them, check out parkchurch.org slash gages. That's G-A-G-E-S. Parkchurch.org slash gages. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, passages like this that are so very, very encouraging to us. We live in a world where we know we have enemies. We know we have those who are in opposition to us. Uh, and we read in scripture that, that, that you, you are not caught unaware by those. Uh, and you do things, you've done something about that, uh, that you are on our side. Even as we uh, prayed for Denise and her family and, uh, because we lost a sister to death, um, Lord, would, a, would, would the singing that we've done and the looking at your word here, would it encourage us? as we think about uh, Ezra and potentially being at death's doorstep, Lord, would you encourage us? Um, help us to be honest about the enemies that we face and yet find joy and hope in who you are, Lord, and in what you have done for us. I suspect through the singing that we've already done, Lord, you are stirring affections in that way. Would you continue that work now? Yes, it's in your name, Jesus. Amen. How many children are here who are under the age of 13? If you're here and you're 13 or younger, go ahead and raise your hand for me. Raise them really high. Oh, yes, a lot. Okay. Yeah, you can clap if you want. Yeah. I have a story for you with slides, I believe. They'll pop up. So, this is David and the Very Big Giant by Tim Thornborough, a true story from the Bible. How small are you? Are you smaller than a tree? Are you the smallest in your family? This is a true story from the Bible about someone very small who fought 
a very big giant because he knew that God is the greatest. I hope that reading this book will help you know that God is great. He's greater than any scary giant. In fact, he's the greatest in the whole wide world. Now, Goliath was tall. He was taller than all the other Philistines. He was the tallest soldier in their army. Goliath stood and he roared at God's people, pick someone to come and fight me. God's people were scared. Would you be scared? I would be scared. I don't like giants. They were scared -er. I'm not sure that that's a word, by the way. But it sounds really good in, in, in the story. So they were scared -er of Goliath than anyone else. They were, just, they were the scaredest they had ever been. David was small. He was smaller than his brothers. He was the smallest in the family. How many of you children are the smallest in your family? Max, yeah? Smallest in your family. But David, who was smallest in his family, he knew that God was great. God was greater than Goliath. God was the greatest in the whole wide world. David said to the king, I will fight Goliath. The king said, but you are, you are young younger than anyone else. You're the youngest person here. How can you fight a giant? But David said, I may be little, littler, littlest, but I know that God is big, bigger, biggest. So the king said, go, and may the Lord be with you. David had no armor. He didn't have anything protecting him. David carried no sword. Instead, he took five smooth pebbles or small rocks from a stream to put in his shepherd's sling. Dangerous question here. How many of you have slingshots at home? Oh, most of the balcony. Okay. Sorry, parents, if I'm like getting you into like trouble about slingshots. But a shepherd's sling was kind of like a slingshot. It slings a rock. With it, he could throw a stone faster than the wind. When the very big giant saw little David, he laughed. <laughs> David said, you come to me with spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And when this fight is over, everyone will know that God is great. God is greater than anyone else. And God is the greatest in the whole wide world because you will be dead. The giant snarled. It means he went like this. He snarled and he charged. He trusted his armor to protect him and he trusted his spear and his sword David moved forward. He trusted the Lord. David took one of the five stones and he put it in his sling and he whirled it around his head fast, faster than the wind, fast as he could whirl it. And then, what do you think happened? 
Smack! It hit Goliath right in the forehead. And the giant fell to the ground. He was dead. Deader than a dinosaur. The deadest anyone could be. When the Philistines saw that Goliath was dead, they fled, they ran, and everyone knew that God is great. God is greater than anyone else. God is the greatest in the whole wide world. Amen. Children, David says that Goliath comes with a spear and a sword. Goliath's power comes from his size. Remember, he was what? He was tall, big, much, much bigger than David. And he also, his power was from the weapons in his hands, the spear and the sword. From where does David get his strength? From the Lord. From the Lord. He says, I come to you. You come with a spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. David gets his strength and his power from God. We don't know exactly if this is the context for David writing Psalm 124. There's some speculation because there's not enough detail to know exactly what he's talking about. He may be talking about his interaction with Goliath, He might be talking about, uh, there's an event uh, recorded in 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 25, where the Philistines, once David is anointed king of Israel, the Philistines come up to fight him, uh, and the Lord delivers the Philistines into their hand at that time. That could also be what David is writing about. Certainly, the psalm and this story of David and Goliath resonates with enemies coming up against God and uh, God's people. Psalm 124 is written with a specific context in mind, I'm sure as David is writing it, but it's general enough to apply to to all of God's people from the moment that it was penned up through now. As we kind of dissect the psalm, I wanna actually kind of go backward through it. We're gonna jump around a bit, but we're kind of gonna be working from back to front here. I want to look at verse 8 first. So if you've closed your Bible, go ahead and uh, open it back up to Psalm 124, particularly verse 8. So Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is really the pinnacle of the psalm, and ultimately it's the pinnacle of our faith. The verse, as well as the entire psalm, uses the all-capital spelling of LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps, to signify the use of Yahweh, the personal name of God based on I am. It indicates his completeness, his wholeness, and who and what he is at his character. Charles Spurgeon writes, Jehovah's revealed character is our foundation of confidence. His person is our sure fountain of strength. Recall children from our story, David declaring uh, to Goliath, you come with sword and spear. 
I come in the name of the Lord. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to it later. Why the mention, though, of who made heaven and earth? So the second half of that verse, who made heaven and earth, that's one of those that I put like a question mark in my Bible because I want to know, why is that there? feels a little odd at first, to me anyway. I want to know, what significance is that? Here's a quote by a Puritan clergyman, Thomas Manton. He writes, it's as if the psalmist had said, as long as I see heaven and earth, I will never distrust. I hope in that God which made all these things out of nothing. And therefore, as long as I see those two great standing monuments of his power before me, heaven and earth, I will never be discouraged. From the sure foundation of our help being in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, which we can see and trust in as he actually created them out of nothing, let's consider the enemies listed, uh, or the pictures of the enemies listed in verses three through seven. So let's take a look first at uh, verse three, actually second half of verse two. People rose up against us. Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. This is a picture, uh, picture enemies coming against God's people as a beast who could quite literally swallow them whole, devouring them with one gulp of its mouth. That's the picture that David is laying out there. And then verse four, then the floods would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Enemies of God's people are like floodwaters that wipe out everything in its midst. I said earlier, we don't know the exact context that David is writing about, but that particular one, like a floodwater that would just sweep over and torrents that would go over, it really rings of the Exodus story. God parting the seas, the Israelites uh, walking through dry ground as walls are going up on either side of them of the Red Sea, and then what happens? It crashes down once they've gone through. It crashes down onto Pharaoh and his army, and they are utterly destroyed. That's the picture of what David is saying the enemies coming against him are like. And then in verse 6, it does say, blessed be the Lord, but right afterward it gives us a picture of who has not given us as prey to their teeth. This is almost like a tiger or a lion that has God's people in its teeth, ripping and devouring them as it has them there. And then verse seven, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Uh, a fowler is a bird catcher, someone who catches birds generally to eat them. 
A snare is, uh, some of you probably know what it looks like, but picture kind of a round or oval-shaped wire. It gets tripped, the bird gets snatched into it, and then it either dies there or when the fowler comes, the fowler kills it. So the snare is a trap, fowler is the trapper. David is laying out for us some pretty vivid pictures about what enemies coming against us, God's people, are like. Amidst these verses, though, describing the enemies of God's people, verse 6 declares, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. And then verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare. Snare doesn't capture us. Snare is broken, and we have escaped. As I consider the the foundation of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, being our help in times of trouble, when enemies want to swallow us up whole, I'm reminded of a passage from a sermon preached by Martin Luther King, Jr. It's titled, God is Able. And some of the stuff in here, I think, is just remarkable draws the heart back towards God being able to overcome. He said this, at the center of the Christian faith is the conviction that there is a God of power who is able to do exceedingly abundant things in nature and in history. This conviction is stressed over and over again in the Old and New Testaments. The God whom we worship is not a weak and incompetent God. God is able to beat back gigantic waves of opposition and to bring low, prodigious mountains of evil. This ringing testimony of the Christian faith is that God is able. Let us notice first that God is able to sustain the vast scope of the physical universe. Here we are tempted to feel that humanity is the true master of the physical universe. But our jet-propelled aircraft compress into minutes distances that formerly required uh, weeks of torturous effort. Our spaceships carry astronauts through outer space at fantastic speeds. Is not God being replaced in the mastery of the cosmic order? But before we are consumed too greatly by human arrogance, let us take a broader look at the universe. Will we not soon discover that our fastest rockets seem barely to be moving in comparison to the movement of the stars and planets? Think about the fact, for instance, that Earth is circling the sun so fast that the fastest jet would be left 66,000 miles behind in the first hour of a space race. In the past seven minutes, We've been hurled more than 8,000 miles through space. I had no idea about these before I had read this sermon. Consider the sun. Our earth moves around this cosmic ball of fire once each year, traveling, this is astonishing, 584 million miles at the rate of 66,700 miles per hour. By this time tomorrow, we shall be 1 million 800,000 miles from where we are now. Six months from now, we shall be on the other side of the sun, and in a year from now, we shall have swung completely around it and back to where we are right now. So, 
When we behold the expanse of outer space, in which we are compelled to measure stellar distance in light years, and in which heavenly bodies travel at incredible speeds, we are forced to look beyond humanity and affirm anew that God is able. Children, remember the story. David said in our story earlier, I may be, what? I may be little, littler, I may be littlest, but I know that God is big, bigger, biggest. God is able, able to beat back gigantic waves of opposition. He's able to bring low prodigious mountains of evil. He is able to save his people, those who believe by faith, from people who are like a beast wanting to swallow them whole. He is able to save those uh, from those who are like floodwaters coming up over our head, like a wave crashing down onto us trying to crush our very being. He is able to save us from enemies who are like lions tearing at our flesh with their hungry teeth. And he is able to save from those who are like fowlers, wanting to trap us like a bird in a snare. But the question for me arises, are these our only enemies? Do we just have earthly, flesh and blood enemies? As I was uh, preparing this, as I read this psalm, as I was preparing this sermon, uh, an image from the Lord of the Rings kept coming back to me uh, again and again. Um, if you're familiar with it, and if you're not, I think we can hope, hopefully make, make it make sense. Uh, early on in the story, Frodo and uh, the hobbits are traveling from the Shire, it's their homeland, to the Inn of the Prancing Pony in a town called Bree. They are supposed to meet the wizard Gandalf there. On their travels from the Shire, to Bree, they run across the Nazgul, or the ring race, those enemies who want to capture them to take the ring back to Sauron. When they get to Bree, after having escaped the Nazgul, they get to Bree, they meet Strider, who we come to find out later is, is Aragorn the king, the rightful king. Strider asks Frodo, after going through this journey and then meeting Strider, who is much, much bigger than him and a little rough with Frodo at the time, he says, are you afraid? And Frodo says, yes. And Strider says, not nearly enough. I know what hunts you. I know what hunts you. Here's 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes, we, we do have and we will have earthly flesh and blood enemies, people who want to oppose us, people who want to oppose God's people. But scripture holds up that we have far greater enemies to our soul and to our eternal well-being than just flesh and blood enemies. To Aragorn's, to Aragorn's point, there are far greater things that hunt us. Satan, sin, death. We have an enemy, a very great enemy, an enemy to God and his kingdom and to us. That's the devil, and that's Satan. Sin. I mentioned, uh, I read the passage from Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things. Our very heart, apart from being in Christ, is being led away from God and his kingdom. It's deceitful. We follow after the things that we want because we want to be God. And that coalesces or is a result of sin. It's an enemy, a very great enemy. And then death. The wages of that sin, the result of our sin, is that death comes for us. Each of these, Satan, sin, death, is like a beast that wants to swallow us up whole. It wants to get us in the grip of its teeth and devour us. Each is like a floodwater, a torrent, a raging water that wants to overwhelm us. The devil is the penultimate fowler that would want to catch our soul like a bird in a snare. How many souls have been lost to these enemies? How many friendships? How many relationships? How many marriages? How many lives lost because they followed the way of darkness, not even knowing that they were in a real battle for their soul? How many sitting here today are lost, giving away your souls to enemies that want to swallow you whole? Children and adults, does this frighten you? Are you afraid? Apart from Christ, you should be. Because these are real enemies. And this war is going on right now. But, verse 6, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Verse 7, we've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare, the thing that would want to trap us, is broken. And we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Here's Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That he in that verse is Jesus Christ. It is ultimately in his name that we find help. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Psalm 124 verse eight says, who made heaven and earth? Colossians 1.15 unpacks, it was Jesus that made heaven and earth. Christ is our help. How? How does Jesus help us? Here's Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners under the effect of that great enemy, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And one more, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his shedding of his blood, saves us not just from real flesh and blood enemies, but from our ultimate enemies that want to destroy our soul. So what now? What what to do now? What's our response? Let's look at verse 1. Psalm 124, verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, what do we do? That little middle part there, let Israel now say, gives us a clue. We remember and remember and remember. We recall it again and again and again. We declare it to one another, and we do so with great frequency because we want to remember our Lord and Savior that died to rescue us from ultimate enemies. We declare it not just to one another. We declare it to those around us. We declare it to our city. We declare it to our nation, and ultimately to the nations. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is Jesus and none other. Spurgeon, again, in his commentary wrote this, if Jehovah were not our protector, where should we be? 
Nothing but his power and wisdom could have guarded us from the cunning and malice of our adversaries. Therefore, let all his people say so and openly give him the honor of his preserving goodness. Here are two ifs, and he's referring to the ifs in verse 1 and 2. If it had not been the Lord, if it had not been the Lord, he says. Here are two ifs, and yet there is no if in the matter. The Lord was on our side and is still our defender and will be so from henceforth even forever. Let us with holy confidence exult in his joyful fact. We are far too slow in declaring our gratitude. Hence the exclamation which should be rendered, oh, let Israel say. We murmur without being stirred up to it, but our thanksgiving needs a spur. It is well when some warm-hearted friend bids us say what we feel. Imagine what would have happened if the Lord had left us and then see what has happened because he has been faithful to us. Are not all the materials of a song spread before us? Let us sing unto the Lord. The Lord is on our side and our help is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you, uh, you don't just, you're, you're not just on our side to, to fight against those who would oppose us to the earthly flesh and blood uh, enemies that we have, but you are specifically concerned with our heart, our joyful allegiance and obedience to you. And you went to great lengths to purchase us. You went to great lengths to redeem us and to rescue us from the enemies that would ultimately want to bite us and tear us and rip us and ensnare us. Lord, would we be a people and would we be a people who proclaim to other people who would then be a people and they proclaim to people who would then be people? Would we be a people who remember and remember and remember. When times get tough, when death takes a loved one, what do we recall? Amidst the pain and the heartache, what do we recall? You are good to us. You have rescued us ultimately from the effects of death. You have washed us from sin and its effect on us. You have redeemed us to the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Heart Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.